0: This week, we chat with NASCAR star Kurt Busch, team owner and Pro Football Hall of Famer Joe Gibbs, and recently retired Toyota marketing chief Ed Laukas. They'll share stories detailing their relationships with two-time NASCAR champ Kyle Busch, whom we featured on the podcast last week, along with his wife Samantha. We'll first hear from Kyle's older brother and fellow NASCAR champ, Kurt Busch.
1: When I got to the hospital to see him, Uh, He's looking straight, square in the eyes to me. I could see the
0: laser focus that he was determined to bounce back. Then pivot to my chat with Joe
2: Gibbs. And he said, no, the doctor told me not to do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we wrap up with an interesting peek behind the sponsor-driver relationship, which feels more like a father-son connection, courtesy of Ed Laukas.
3: My response to him was, if you have something constructive that you want to talk about relative to the Toyota relationship with TRD, then you need to pick up the phone and call me and not air yourself out in the media.
0: As we dive into my chat with Kurt Busch, I want to quickly mention how much your ratings and reviews help us out. They go a long way towards getting our episodes in front of more listeners. So huge thanks for any help on that front. With that said enough for me, here's Kurt Busch. So I, I wanted to start by taking you back to when you guys were kids growing up. Uh, Take me through the first and I believe last time the two of you ever competed uh, against each other in go-karts.
1: Yeah, what's wild um, and not a lot of people really understand the age difference between us. Uh, We're seven years apart. And so, you know, I'm out winning late model races on the Southwest Tour at at age 18 and 19. And Kyle's 11, 12 years old and, and can't even get into the pit area or be close to the car. And so the the time we spent racing against each other uh, when we were young was very limited. Um, we, we had the one go-kart for many, many years. That was uh, my Christmas gift when I was seven. And then when my little brother uh, was getting to be that age, you know, now we're trying to share the one go-kart. And so my dad picked up a second one. Now these are just little yard carts, Briggs and Stratton, lawnmower engine, nothing special. And we would go to an empty parking lot to drive the cart against each other. And we did a couple times where we didn't run into each other. And then when Kyle was getting a little better, uh, he ramped off my my rear tire and kind of clipped the carburetor of my engine. And he passed me on the outside because my car quit. Like the go-kart wouldn't go anymore. And he's like, yeah, I beat you. And I'm looking at him going, man, it was a dirty move. And I guess we should have seen that that was, that was going to be some of the, the, the rivalry and the fun and the, and the back and forth. But after that, my dad's like, you know what? You two are probably going to hurt each other on the go-karts. We'll keep you guys separate.
0: I was going to um, say, how did your dad react after that?
1: Yeah, he, he had that whole moment of, wait a minute. What did I do? I positioned my boys for, uh, for a moment. And, and so when Kyle and I raced, I guess to answer your question, uh, we didn't race go-karts against each other. Uh, We raced legend cars a few times against each other. But with my age, with our age difference of seven years, I mean, anything Kyle wanted to dish at me, I could handle it because I was so much older and so much more experienced. And there was maybe one time, one time where he beat me straight up. And it was probably one of my final legends car races ever. Uh, And then I was jumping into the truck series right after that. And it was a 25-lap race. We qualified first and second, and we did what we call a full invert, where Kyle and I started last, and we had to race all, our, all the way up through the, through the cars to win, and he just took off like the tortoise in the hare. You know, he's the hare. He just took off. He's running. And I, just, I took the, the methodical old guy tortoise approach, and I'm talking old guy. I'm 19 years old, but I've got this experience on him. And I'm catching up, you know, I passed third and now I'm I'm running second and he's way up there. It went green the whole time. Like there was no yellow flags or anything. So I had to go and try to chase him down in those last few laps. And just as I got to his rear bumper, uh, the checkered flag was out and the race was over. He won and he's just doing the whole like bragging it up, uh, little brother syndrome of I beat you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, kind of you did. But he needed to win that race to win the championship. So it was all part of uh, part of how we balanced out the competition against each other.
0: Did it affect you at all or bother you at all when he won or not so much?
1: It, it was a moment of, of yes, it, it bothered me just this little bit, but at the same time, it was one of those moments in life where you go, wow, he's getting it. It's starting to click for him. And as a mentor, You know, I was there helping him out. My dad was there coaching him. It was a moment of, he's ready for the next step. That was the best part about it.
0: What do you remember from Kyle serving as your, I believe, dwarf car crew chief?
1: (laughs) Yeah, we always uh, helped each other. Uh, My dad was there as our our coach, our car owner, our, our mentor our mechanic, I mean, mom was there running the the scoring and and keeping track of lap times and and helping with the lineup. I mean, the family atmosphere. And and so with my little brother, we, we always just made a joke that he was my crew chief helping me out in racing. And it was more just him being the grunt guy going and getting the tires aired up and getting the car wiped down and getting it ready for the next race. But all of that was part of how my dad coached us to be adaptive and to be able to be ready for any job and any task at any time.
0: What would you say got both of you, but it was, I guess, really you initially, what got you into racing in the first place?
1: It was our dad, Tom. Uh, My dad raced at the local track in Las Vegas. Uh, He raced to win. He didn't race um, and go there for social hour. It, It was, we raced to win and we have all of our hard work put into the car before we get to the track. And then we execute as a team when we got there. And so that discipline and, and that formality, it it was instilled in, in, in both Kyle and I right away. I mean, it it was, we went to the track to win. We weren't there to make friends.
0: And if you don't mind add a little color to that, like what that means, because even, you know, as a kid, presumably, you know, if you're, going to race, I mean, it's, you know, starts as a hobby. You're there to have fun, but it it sounds like, uh, the mindset was a a little different with you guys. So how, how did that actually come out when, you know, you were at the racetrack or the, the preparation leading up to it?
1: Yeah. I feel like, um, during the week, that's where my dad would come home from work, uh, mom would, would cook dinner and Uh, Then we'd head out to the garage, and it was almost like a a scheduled time that uh, a parent would set aside for their child to do their homework. This was to go out in the garage and to to work on the cars and to understand more about the setups and and to to work on them. You know, other kids might be out riding their bikes. You know, they might be out playing tag or playing video games. Uh, Yes, we got to do all of that but we were really regimented on working on the cars. Then when we got to the racetrack, you know, there, there was no um, horseplay is what my dad called it. It was, we're here to, to race and we're here to win. You know, if kids were out riding their bikes through the, the pit area and such, or they were going off wandering around, uh, my dad was quickly and my mom was quickly there to, to rope us in and get us with the cars.
0: Really? Well, like, do you remember what they would say or what they do if they saw you messing around at the racetrack?
1: It was the, 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 you're here to win. You're here to race and you're here to, to focus on the cars. Your attention needs to be right here, not over there. I mean, it was simple, wasn't tough discipline. Uh, it just, you did, I didn't really comprehend all of it. And I know Kyle didn't either, but the, the mentorship and the teaching that they were giving us really instilled that work ethic and that drive within us to succeed
0: and i believe after the races you your brother and dad would also go to the tv room off the garage to look at film Um, like what would those sessions entail?
1: yeah the the time that i spent uh, with the camcorder recording my dad racing uh, then uh, turned into kyle was recording me and my dad as we raced and then when Kyle started racing, mom took over the camcorder and we all helped one another with the with videos and replaying races and watching how passes were made, restarts. And, and then on Sunday, we would watch the NASCAR race. And my dad would you know, just ask me questions about what I saw on the TV and indirectly, it was him subconsciously instilling the, the racing patterns in my mind and how you make moves and how you get better and how you learn from mistakes because there was some wrecks as well. I mean, we didn't win all the time uh, and there would be some wrecks. And those were those moments where you'd review the tape and make sure that uh, you didn't make that same mistake twice.
0: How were wrecks handled? Because I mean, tight budget, uh, you know, competing hard. So presumably you have the best of intentions. And you know, when you wreck it, it costs you guys money.
1: And it did. And uh, the way that we worked around that was you spent time working on the car to rebuild it. It wasn't where my mom and dad would just buy a new part and bolt it back on the car. We had to build it. And then when you have those moments of, wow, that was a long week of working in the garage to get back to the racetrack. My dad's like, yeah, isn't it a lot easier if you don't wreck and that we get to come back and just polish on the car and then go back next week? And so the work ethic and the, and the thought process of working on the cars made us race smarter and made us race differently. And that's how we learned to protect our race car.
0: What do you remember from racing against your dad back in the day?
1: Man, he, he was the smartest guy on the racetrack. And his awareness that he had around him was, was unbelievable. Uh, he was a national champion in the dwarf cars in the 90s. Uh, when I started racing against him, I knew I was racing against the best of the best. And it uh, it it just was this this fun atmosphere of at the racetrack. every Friday, every Saturday night, uh, you know, when we raced against each other, he knew how to give me room when I was overdriving the car. And then when there was that transition of when I started to outrun him most of the time at the races, he was trying to sort out where we were gonna go next, whether it was a race, whether it was a race or whether it was the next division up. Like he saw me mastering that car and it was, wow, how can we sort out a budget to sell this car and to get to the next division up?
0: In what ways would you say your dad most helped you and Kyle?
1: Uh, just the, the regiment, uh, the, 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 the setting up of the car, the appreciation of what it took, teamwork-wise, to get to the racetrack, uh, the the family dedication. Um, you know, you don't see that a lot uh, in this day and age, where you know baseball or football practice or hockey. You know, a lot of parents just drop the kids off and they're gone. In racing, uh, it's it's a it's full commitment of everything of the truck, the trailer, the tires, the spare parts. And, and working on the cars when you're at the racetrack. And just, just overall, what my dad gifted us, me and Kyle with, was that work ethic to, to understand the setups of the cars and how to work on them. And that appreciation bled through into our driving style.
0: How would you, on, on the family front, uh, how would you best explain the sacrifices that both of your parents made?
1: It was tremendous. Uh, I'm so very appreciative and grateful uh, grandma was always there at the racetrack, too. And to have her smile and to have her wisdom, she always had those nice one-liners on what we did right or what we did wrong. And everybody added to it all the time. And yeah, now that I look back on it, you know there was other families that we began to help. And there was other racers that came to my dad for advice. And uh, we helped build other people's cars for them and started to help their racing lives and racing careers and racing families.
0: Were you guys uh, close to your grandma?
1: Uh, Yes, very close to grandma. Uh, We lost her a few years back, but she was always there um, on Saturdays before we would head to the racetrack. She'd always have a hamburger, cheeseburger lunch and wanted to make sure all the boys were fueled up before they headed to the track.
0: Um, All right, so it's no secret you and your brother have colorful personalities. Uh, Where would you say you guys got it from?
1: Um, It's a blending of of my dad's tenacity and his attitude. Uh, My mom is is the social butterfly. Uh, She's like the life of the party. Uh, You know, we watched racing all the time, and there's a guy, Dale Earnhardt Sr., that was the intimidator on TV. And the way he drove, the way he talked, the way he acted, uh, you know, and then the influences of movies in racing. You know, there's like the old Kenny Rogers six pack movie with the, with the kids that became his crew. Uh, Days of Thunder came out in the early nineties and NASCAR just seemed to blossom after that. And to this day, still my little brother and his nickname Rowdy it came from Rowdy Burns, a character on Days of Thunder, and he races in his spare time with the number 51 on his car. He He's so driven that you sometime, I sometimes see blinders on him, and that he's so driven to go get that checkered flag. That then reminds me of my dad. On when he went to the racetrack, we were there to win. We weren't there to make friends.
0: Uh- Take me to, and this was a period that obviously uh, got a lot of attention, um, and I believe it involves your grandma as well, but take me to the Christmas uh, where you guys aren't talking um, and what you remember from that.
1: Uh, It was 2007. Um, It was my seventh year on the circuit Uh, as my little brother's second year. And in your second year, things start to slow down a little, you start to digest some things and you become a better racer. Still, about that fourth year, that's when everything clicks. Uh, That's the year I won the championship was was my fourth full-time year. And so Kyle's making a move to pass me at this all-star race. The all-star race has no points. It's all about a million bucks, a million dollars for the winner. There's all that slang and talk and trash talk about how you would wreck your own mom to win the million bucks. And I was making a pass to, to go for second underneath uh, Jeff Burton. And I didn't even see Kyle coming from behind. And I'm in the low groove. And I'm going down the you know front straightaway in the low groove. He goes even lower, like he is beyond the low groove. And I'm like, really? Wait a minute. Who I didn't even know that it was him to my inside. I was just like, oh, it is him. And then by that moment, it's like, really, if you want that inside on the straightaway, I'm going to make sure you have the, the awkward corner entry into turn one. And when I pinned him down a little bit, of course, he lost control of his car. And then I'm trying to get out of the way and he ends up clipping me and we end up wrecking. And it was that whole moment of, wait a minute, who's at fault. Were, were you at fault because you passed me low and was I at fault? Cause I pinned you down into turn one. And so that, difference of opinion lasted for a long time. And it was because it was all for a million bucks. We wouldn't have done those moves against each other if it was a, uh, points race and we wouldn't have done those moves against each other in this time now with both of our maturity levels. Okay. So, so
0: rent- no, I mean, during that period, like when both of you aren't talking, what would you say the lowest point was?
1: Um, no real low point. It was, uh, me still trying to hold my ground as the older brother and you still have more to learn. And he, of course, like any little brother has little brother syndrome. I'm going to do everything better, faster, and quicker than you. I'm going to be better than you. And I'm like, no, no, just just, you still have more to learn, son. And so that's, that's really where it stood. Uh, again, we're seven years apart. And so there's still, I was raised, you know, almost, a you know, more than a half a decade before him. And so our relationship didn't start to materialize and get closer until the the mid 2010s.
0: What did, uh, just to go back to that moment, what did the grandma say or do uh, at Christmas that, uh, you know, positively impacted things?
1: It was a, a bury the hatchet moment. She's like, "Boys, I, I need my boys. I don't need this animosity. I don't need this stress level at the dinner table. You boys need to put that behind you." And it was okay. Yes, Grandma. So it was it was a very glorified media moment, but at, at the same time, in family, everybody's got those in family little disagreements.
0: Sure. Uh, so 2010, when you said you guys started getting closer, what do you think changed?
1: Uh, I think it's age. Uh, wisdom and just knowledge about ourselves, um, uh, feeling comfortable within our sport, and then uh, the opportunity to race with each other on the same team, uh, that really drew us close together in 2012. Uh, Monster Energy, a big primary sponsor, and their, their energy level and their pizzazz and, and their swagger fit both of us with our, our um, demeanor, with, with our image. And so he raced half the races, I raced half the races, and it was that, that brother combo. It was the mano y mano, we're against the world, let's go do it.
0: What, what was that like just on the personal front, uh, being in a situation like that?
1: It was very rewarding. Uh, it was heartwarming. Uh, it gave me that extra drive to go into the race shop and to find more people and more depth to talk to and to, to work on the cars and really give that effort in a uh, family atmosphere.
0: It, uh, it was very special and different. How would you describe what it's like competing against one another?
1: Uh, again, like early on, it was difficult. Uh, and then there was a the transition period of younger brother is becoming better than the older brother. And for me, I had to digest that. And once I was able to grasp that and it changed the way I looked at him and, and I was like, he's going to be a superstar in this sport. Uh, 2008, I think he won eight races, you know, to come back from his injury in, in 2015 and win the championship. Uh, that, that was an incredible task of, of personal willpower and the ability to, to go through all of the, the tough parts of, of rehab with your leg, your foot, and just being out of the race car for so many months, uh, that, that was the transition point where I knew he was headed to superstar status in our sport.
0: Uh, and on that 2015 uh, front, um, take me through like what you recall from the moment the accident happens.
1: Anytime um, he, he has a wreck or something on track, I always radio to my team. Uh, Is, is he okay? And, and that feeling that day was an open pit in my stomach of, I I have never heard that he, he he couldn't get out of the car on his own. He normally always gets out on his own. What do you mean? What, how, you know, I didn't see the wreck until afterwards. And it was, it was horrific on the, the, the amount of the impact the, the G forces of impacting the wall the way and the angle that he did, uh, I'm so glad that that all that that happened was the the broken leg and foot. I mean, it could have been much more severe. And it, when you when I saw it, I was just it was so tough to digest. I mean, it, it's uh there's that fear factor in, in all sport, and there's a lot of times where you just ignore it, but that was a moment where it uh, it came over me.
0: Uh, what was So you realize he's, you know, his life isn't at risk, obviously. Uh, But then as details start to come in, what are you thinking at that point after you're, you know, now out of the car and, you know, have some clarity on the situation?
1: You know, it was still, again, it was gut-wrenching. And it was just mind-boggling that it happened. And when I got to the hospital to see him uh, he's looking straight square in the eyes to me. I could see the laser focus that he was determined to bounce back and that this wasn't, uh, the setback that everybody thought it was. I mean, I just saw it right away. Like, Oh, well, he's fine. He's my little brother. But I mean, he's in these casts and having to go through all these exams and x-rays It, it was going to be a process, but he looked at me right away. and was like, no problem. I'll be back soon.
0: To, to what extent were you at all concerned for his career at that point?
1: Uh, again, it was immediate that that night after the accident, when I got to the hospital and saw him, he was like, no problem. I'll be bouncing back.
0: (laughs) So because he was so confident that immediately eliminated any concerns that you might've otherwise had. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's, it's that spiritual connection of when I saw, when I locked eyes with him, I knew that uh, he was determined to not even feel the pain of all the rehab. He was going to be back faster than anybody would have expected. And he did. And he came back with a, a recharged vengeance
0: to attack the circuit. Sonoma, uh, after he came back from the injury. Man, I,
1: I let him win that race. I shouldn't have <laughs> let him win that. That what I want back.
0: <laughs> uh, that, I mean, that was uh, from everybody I've talked to, you know, while winning the championship was big, everybody seems to point to Sonoma as the more like emotionally significant uh, race. Uh, what do you think of that?
1: Remember that story I I told you about the legend cars where he just took off and ran early and ran hard. Yeah. And here I I was taking the tortoise approach. That was that same feeling and, and moment. And I was chasing him down at the end and I had just passed second place. It took me about an extra lap to pass Clint Boyer for second. And as I'm chasing down Kyle, I'm like, I'm gonna get there but I'm gonna I need one more lap and and this was the white flag lap I'm trying to get there as fast as I can and then there was that whole flash moment of the accident and his rehab and the and the journey that he had been on and there was big questions going into that race on can his left foot handle the braking pressure and that's a tough tough track on your body physically and I had all those thoughts in my head of yeah, he's still not ready yet. He's still not ready to win. I've got this. I've got this. He's not 100%. And I, I, mis, I misjudged. I misinterpreted. I underestimated his strength, his ability to pull through and focus. I should have known better. He's a bush, and he was there to win.
0: After uh, that race, what did you guys say to one another the first time you talked? From
1: what I remember, it was, it was that defeat was within me, but at the same time, I was satisfied. I was happy that he bounced back. It gave me that same feeling of when he beat me in the legend car of, oh, he's winning right now and he's going places in the future. That's what the, that moment was. I know I gave him a big hug in victory lane and I gave him that, uh, that jab in the rib of, yeah, I'll let you win.
0: Uh, this uh, 2020 season, uh, tough season for Kyle. Um, your thoughts on that as it pertains to him?
1: I think the biggest thing in 2020 that, that affected Kyle was the lack of practice, the lack of fine tuning the race car to his feel.
0: That's what uh, coach Gibbs said too yesterday.
1: Yeah. And that's what I saw. And I was trying to help Kyle late summer on this is the new norm. You're not ever gonna get that feel of that super fine-tuned uh, settings. You, you now have to adapt and, and roll with the race car being at 90%. You know, you're not gonna have that 100% feel anymore. And, and so I'm trying to digest that as well with my team. And we had some really good runs, a couple races slipped through our fingers and then I was able to win Las Vegas my hometown and then a track very similar to Vegas is Texas where where Kyle ended up winning and keeping his streak uh, his winning streak alive and I, I you know right afterwards I said I bet your car wasn't hundred percent was it he goes no it was horrible and I went that's what I've been trying to tell you you're not going to get that perfection anymore with with not having practice
0: how much of it do you think was the the, the fact that the car uh, wasn't and how much was it almost uh, the mental aspect uh, associated with knowing that the car wasn't, you know, where he wanted it to be?
1: I think the easiest thing to to look at is, is the, he's got so many race wins. He has such a procedure of what it took to win so often. And even in the Xfinity series and in the truck series, So he had his rhythm, he had his patterns, you know what I mean? And then with this being disrupted in 2020, it took him some time to sort out the the new pattern of how to adapt in this uh, this era.
0: What sticks out to you from how NASCAR in general went about navigating COVID?
1: Uh, What sticks out the most on how NASCAR navigated uh, the, the COVID is, COVID is, sorry. What sticks out to me the most is the way that everybody worked together. The collaboration of the teams, the, the owners, the drivers. It was as if we were all in uh, the sandbox together and everybody had to share. Everybody had to take care of each other. Uh, people were there to pat you on the back that, that you never even knew. And it would teach you then, you've got to go help this guy over here. Um, Kyle and I were in our family bubble of travel together. Uh, That was an incredible feeling this year of our development uh, as brothers and just being there to help one another get through the process together. So real proud of NASCAR with all the states, the counties, the governments to be able to keep us all safe, to have the certain bubbles for the drivers, for the crew. Uh, it, It all worked out as best as it could have.
0: And tell me about that family bubble that the two of you were in.
1: Uh, It just again, it it felt like uh, that camaraderie uh, was was there and reignited to not be against the world. But it was like him and I are together and we're going to help each other navigate our way through this where others may have had more of an independent feel.
0: And, and, And explain how that's different than normal times. I mean, in terms of the family bubble that you guys were in.
1: I think it it just added um, to what normal families do, and that is to sacrifice for one another, Uh, to go out of your way to to help somebody or to, hey, uh, I've got six hours to kill. I'll I'll wait. And, you know, instead of going early to this event, uh, you know, I'll stay late to help out with this. Um, You know, little Brexton started racing this year, and it was great to have everybody back at the track again, like it was when we were back racing in the 90s.
0: How do you think Brexton uh, has impacted the family dynamic, especially with his racing?
1: I, I think it's helped everybody, um, for lack of a better term, just pump the brakes, you know, just slow down. And, and, and everybody has a, a role that is more defined, you know, such as me being an uncle. My wife, Ashley, is an aunt. And to be there to help Samantha and Kyle uh, with, with what they have to do with Brexton, And then mom and dad and then samantha's parents i mean it just brings back that family atmosphere instead of all of us being uh, out there running more independent uh, racing for our teams or traveling here separate it just brought everybody together closer
0: and we were out there filming uh, his brexton's final race uh, of the season Um, if you don't mind uh, take me through what a typical race day would entail for him
1: uh, for Brexton? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's he's got that energy and excitement about it. He's wanting to go to the track, and it's not where we're having to push him. And then now with him settling in and having a couple race wins and having the procedures down, uh, he's making things happen more smoothly. And it's, again, you don't want to push too hard too fast uh, with his development. You still got to let him be a kid because – for me, I didn't start racing until I was 15, 16 years old. Uh, my little brother, uh, he didn't really start until he was 11, 12. This is a little different. Uh, Brexton's <laughs> five, six years old, and we still have to make sure that he's being a kid, but still you gotta have that Bush mentality of we're here to win, we're not here to make friends.
0: And, and your dad, uh, very active role in uh, Brexton's racing.
1: Yeah, my dad loves his racing. He still has uh, sprinkles of information that, that bring a, a, a wide eye to myself and to Kyle, and he makes us think still.
0: Oh, really? Like, I mean, like what?
1: He'll just point out something on the track uh, from a race. Could just be a random race at Michigan, and he is spot on. He's watching on TV, but he'll know more about the draft and something that Kyle and I didn't necessarily see. Uh, you know, he, he had this keen sense of, you know, Chase Elliott's going to be strong at Phoenix. You know, he's going to be tough to, to go up against for the title. And he's talking about that back in August. I mean, he's still just, he's got it. And so with, with him helping me, helping Kyle, Brexton should be, uh, should be a world champion here by age 12.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, and then uh, lastly, I know this is kind of a loaded question. Um, anything that comes to mind in terms of a funny story or two? Uh, over the years with Kyle, that um, even if he'd be surprised, I know about it. If uh, you know, I bring it up to him. You think he'd get a uh, kick out of talking about or recalling a moment?
1: Ah, oh, man, we were always so competitive. Um, you know that Sonoma race. I think deserves a lot of spotlight uh, with with our story uh, because that matches the legend car story from back in the 90s. Uh, it also matches, um, you know, in 2019, Kyle and I finished one-two at Kentucky. And that I was able to win and come out on top. And the, the, the little bit of racing room that he gave me on the outside, I don't think he would have given it to anybody else. I think there was, there was a spiritual brother connection if he gave me a, a few inches on the outside and that enabled me to win that race. Um, you know, have, the time that we shared it, have KDM, you guys,
0: wait, have you guys ever talked about that?
1: Yeah, we've been back and forth on it. You know, and I, I think when I gave him the wink of thanks for, for the room up on the high side, it then goes back through his mind, man, I should have closed the door, I should have <laughs> taken it away. And so it's, it's funny that anytime that we finish one, two, uh, they usually are great races. And there's that, that banter back and forth that you might get out of a Serena and Venus Williams or a, a Peyton and an Eli Manning. There's always that, that brother relationship of, man, I knew I should've done something a little different.
0: By the way, didn't you guys used to uh, uh, play Mario Kart uh, back in the day?
1: Oh yeah, I would school them on Mario Kart all the time. Again, I'm seven years old. <laughs>
0: Uh, cool. Well, th- thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you making the time. All right. Thank you, guys. How cool would it be to track down the Bush brothers back in the day battling each other in Mario Kart? Now here's team owner Joe Gibbs, the only man to have won a Super Bowl and a NASCAR Cup championship, who starts off by looking back at his first impression of Kyle Bush. I wanted to start with, you know, so Kyle's fired by Hendrick, um, and before you ever even uh, met with him uh, what did you know about him what were you know what were your thoughts on him at that time?
2: I felt like a very talented guy. The first time I ever heard about uh, Kyle, I always tell this story my son coy was racing trucks and so I called him after practice you know where he was I think it was someplace like um, you know. Um, Kansas or someplace. And I said, Hey, what's it like? How you doing? He goes, I'm doing pretty good. But he said, Hey, there's some kid here. Okay. And he's, he's three-tenths faster than everybody. <laughs> and he says, I hope he gets thrown out. Cause I don't think he's old enough. <laughs> and sure enough, that's what happened. I think Kyle was 15 or 16 and you know, he wasn't supposed to be racing the trucks. But, uh, so that's the first time I heard about him. And that, and, that was
0: a big controversy at the time too. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, and so then he winds up, of course, when it, once he got with Rick, and um, you know, you could see the talent that he had, um, and so I think everybody kind of knew this guy is one of those gifted people, and um, so I think, and then of course he showed it right away with Rick. I don't think it as much as I, I think Rick really what happened to him. He had a situation with Junior, and so it wasn't as much, you know, he just felt like he had to make that move. And so Kyle winds up being a free agent and could have gone to a number of teams. So actually it was back to being like free agency in football. We were recruiting. Really? Oh, yeah. You were recruiting a hangout. I I used to tell everybody the only thing that was different about this uh, you know, recruiting in pro sports, and with NASCAR, money is legal. <laughs> so <laughs> you're trying to convince him, though. But really, I think Kyle's questions when he came in here, a lot of it was about crew chief. You know, um, he wanted to see everything in the operation, the way it was done here. I, I really think he he's very bright, and he wanted to, and he his passion is racing cars. and At that point, that's all he thought about really, I think, was racing. And uh, now he has Sam, he has Brexton, but I think at that point, he was totally focused on his career and um, he wanted to be in the best race cars. And his focus here was he wanted to see everything. And a very knowledgeable guy, wanted to see you know, who the crew chiefs would be, what kind of pit, pit crew did we have and everything about racing is what he was interested in.
0: At, at what point during that first meeting, uh, because you said you were kind of recruiting him, uh, at what point during that first meeting did you realize it was going well?
2: Well, I felt like it was going well, but that first meeting ended and he was still looking. And I think he was still, gonna do his research, talk to other people, um, you know, other key teams. And so we were, we were after it, you know, it was a full blown recruiting deal. And uh, so in every way we were trying to present what we thought this is a good deal for him. And, um, you know, thank goodness it worked out that way. um,
0: Do you remember what took place between that first meeting in actually, uh, agreeing to work together, that you well, I think you go through
2: uh, what it was. He wanted to visit a couple of other places and kind of uh, take a look at what they had. In the meantime, you're kind of going to him, trying to convince him, and it's phone calls, and then it's contractual stuff you're talking about and the financial part of it, and you're trying to convince him, hey, we got the right people to put around you. Um, And he's very, like I said, he really understands racing. He grew up with it. Uh, It's been his life. And he understands it takes more than just being the driver. You know, you got to have the right cars, you got to have the right crew chief, uh, the the engineering group behind you, the aero group behind you, what kind of cars. Um, And so I think he was doing his homework too. And I think you'd have to ask him at what point. he made up his mind. Right. We were after it through the whole process. We were not just letting him go and look around. We were yeah. full-blown recruiting.
0: At the time it seemed like at least among reports in media that there were concern among some people just in the NASCAR world with regards to, you know, his attitude or behavior. To what extent um did that factor in? uh when you guys were you know considering whether or not to bring him in
2: i think really uh it's hard for me to remember back yeah. everything that took place but i think um all we did was you know you wanted to get to know him and i felt like we spent quite a bit of time talking to him and kind of understanding and really and truly if you get Kyle uh i thought i think most people would tell you this if you get him away from the racetrack he's funny he's got a good sense of humor. You know, we get, you know, we talk, we laugh about stuff and everything. And, and, uh, he, he's, he's got a, you know, he gets along, uh, with you in conversations and, and I think you can have a good time with him. And I think, you know, he kind of wins people over when he's away from the racetrack. I think around the racetrack, you get him in a competitive situation and he, you know, kind of wears his emotions and everything on his sleeve, you know, he's gonna tell you what he's thinking. And in some ways, uh, that's good because, you know, he's got, if something's bothering him, he's, he's going to tell us. And I think the relationship that he has with the crew chiefs that he has and Adam, I think that played a big part in that role too. Cause they're both strong. Mm-hmm. They're strong personalities. And I think they really hit it off. It was a great chemistry. And, um, you know, they kind of took off. I think the other important thing for us, our sport is different because you've got to have a sponsor. You know, football, basketball, baseball, you don't have to have a sponsor. You're playing no matter what. Right. Over here, what's critically important and what's different about our sport. Is you gotta have a sponsor. And of course, uh, the relationship that Kyle has with his two sponsors, um, with Mars and everybody there, is just, it's a outstanding. They get to know him, they talk to him a lot, they understand him from a personality standpoint. He's around them all the time um, because he's always doing some kind of a promotion or something with them and he gets to know everybody in there. And they all, you know, they know Kyle. And, uh, and then Interstate Batteries, Norm, Norm and everybody at Interstate, you know, love Kyle. And so he's got two sponsors there that really care about him. And he does a great job of communicating with them, texting them, keeping them updated, updated with what's going on. So I just wanted to present that sure. side. I think he's very, I think he's very good, you know, at that and his relationship. And of course, this sport, <laughs> the other thing, it helps if you win. <laughs> and so, right. and if you're talented, really talented, uh, that helps. And, and Kyle is really talented. In,
0: in what ways, if at all, do you think having already worked with uh, Tony Stewart, um, do you think that prepared Uh, or prepared you for kind of managing uh, a big personality?
2: Yeah, I I think they're both, um, you know, they're different. They're they're, both of them are their own man. They always, you know, both of them chart their own course. Uh, But I do think there are similarities uh, with them. Uh, First of all, the talent, (laughs) both of them are gifted. Uh, But also I I think, Personality-wise, if you get them around the racetrack, you know, they're going to be um, after it is the best way to put it. And uh, sometimes, you know, they'll make a mistake here and there.
0: Um, Just in terms of working with Kyle over the years, I'd imagine when you work with anybody new for the first time, there's a learning curve in figuring out. How best to or most effectively manage or work with somebody. Um, in what ways have you found the most effective way to work with Kyle to be?
2: Well, I, I would say that, you know, you know, constantly communicating and talking the way we do here, because really when the season starts, you know, you're after it every week. And uh, we have our competition meeting, which is the day after the race at two o'clock. And we have our crew chiefs, engineering group, all of us from upper management are in there, Koi, myself, uh, and so it is in that room, there's a lot that goes on. Really? <laughs> there's some disagreements at the times, there's some arguments at time, and uh, you get a real feeling for people's personalities. And Kyle is pretty much, you know, he's gonna be forceful. He's gonna tell you what he's thinking. Um, he's very aggressive. And um, so I, I think you get to know him in those meetings. And then you're going through all the other things that you go through with a driver, too. You're negotiating a contract, that tells you a lot about a person when you're going through that. And how so? Uh, Kind of watch them, and I think I think in Kyle's case, when he came to us, single guy focused totally on racing. And as you've gone through the years, Sam, you know, they wind up, you know, um, in a great relationship, wind up getting married, and now it's Brexton. So his family now, uh, you know, changes a guy too. And so you're going through all that, and you're kind of walking through it with them. When you when they first come to you, they're young looking to achieve. And then you kind of see them as they mature, they become successful, they win championships, and uh, that's a process that you go through with them.
0: Uh, the meeting the day after the race, how about the, the most uh, heated one you can ever recall involving Kyle, but that ultimately became really productive because of whatever was resolved in the meeting?
2: There's probably been a number of those, to be truthful, you know, because um, you know you can have a situation here where we got very good race cars and drivers, and I I I get the most uptight when two of our guys are up front, and nice. every now and then, every now and then they wreck each other, <laughs> so those are probably. Uh, the toughest things to go through from an owner's standpoint and from a driver's standpoint, you know, they get, they get, they're ticked off uh, and they're upset with each other. And I think it's like um, most sports though, uh, in that you deal with it, you sit down, you try and encourage, you know, you always try and encourage guys. If you got a problem with somebody, particularly another driver, go to them. Don't, let it sit there and fester. Go to them, talk it over. But that's hard to do. And so, yeah, it's relationships. Um, some people get along with, 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 with some guys uh, a lot easier and they have a better relationship than other guys. Yep. It's just part of it. And so when you've got four drivers, all of them trying to win, win that race, all of them trying to look out for their sponsor, All of them trying to look out for their own career, and you got four of them in that room. What's great about, I think NASCAR, which I get I get a big kick out of, that's very different than other sports. Okay, you got four teams, (laughs) and so I get a I get a, you know, kind of a kick out of it. You're trying to get four of them to work together and go win. Okay, and so you have all those dynamics going on. And so um, it's a challenge. This this sport is tough. Uh, It's hard. It's hard to be successful in here. Hard to be a successful driver. And you got to have real talent. And but there's a lot that goes with it. It's communicating with the crew chief, being able to tell him what the car needs or wants. That's a huge deal too. Kyle is very good at that. Um, Some drivers aren't as good. But he's gifted at that he's grown up working on cars understands cars and he can really help the crew chief get get, get the car where he wants it um and so all of those things are wrapped up in there so mm-hmm. over a period of time you get to see him in real pressure situations uh, uh,
0: i was talking to ed Laucus, uh of toyota moments ago and toyota and jgr have obviously had a ton of success together. I remember when we spoke uh, a, a while back about uh, you know the, the two companies, you notably kind of making the decision to uh, partner with them. Uh, Toyota and Kyle have had a lot of success together as well. but um, Ed told me a, a pivotal moment for him and Toyota in terms of the relationship with Kyle was a, a moment where uh, Kyle was frustrated uh, with the engines. Uh, race ends uh, and he criticized Toyota uh, to a, a media reporter and Ed uh, flew out to meet with Kyle uh, uh, about it. Uh, what do you remember from that and how ultimately uh, they were able to get through it?
2: Well, I think that's one of the things that we were talking about with Kyle. You know, if he feels there's something that's off, you know, then he you can count on it. He, You know, which I think really is a good thing. He's going to tell you what he thinks. He's (laughs) going to come at Koi, you know, my son. He's going to come at me. And Toyota is, you can't get a better partner. Toyota uh, Toyota is, you know, such a great partner for us. And we've kind of built our racing program uh, with them. They've been a big part of this. And and it's the, the people there. That you get to know and you really care for the relationships that we have inside of Toyota. You got Bob Carter, and you got Dave Wilson, you got Ed Laukas, you got Vinay, and you got Jack, you got all the – Jack Hollis, you got all these guys and you develop a relationship with them and you don't want to let them down. But at times <laughs> – there times – You're counting on them too, uh, from a performance standpoint, and they do our motors. (laughs) And so, (laughs) one thing that you kind of learn with drivers, they never have enough motor. Okay, (laughs) I've never had a meeting where they go, "That thing was better than what we need." It's always you know they they not need some, and we went we we went through a period there. where we struggled some, but let me say this, Toyota is so good at the motor program. That's the reason why we've won championships in the races, but we were having a a struggle in there. And I think Kyle, you know, uh, voiced his, you know, uh, opinion and uh, it, it wasn't particularly a good time. And I think <laughs> Ed and him though, the good thing about Toyota, Ed, Dave Wilson, Bob Carter, all of them have relationships, Jack, all have relationships with Kyle. And so I think in this case, Ed, you know, Ed is is strong and um, he and Kyle get together and they had amazing ability though. I don't know what he told you happened in the end, but Ed and Kyle always have some way of kind of getting things done. You um, You know, I've called Ed before I said, "Look, we're we're having a problem here with this contract with Kyle, and and Ed is just you know really good, and I think he has a great relationship with with Kyle.
0: What do you think it is about their relationship that has a, a allowed it to be so productive, or, I think or to for, the point where you know you'd call him about a, a contract issue with Kyle?
2: Yeah, yeah. and uh, I think they're they're both bright." but they're all so fiery, both of them. <laughs> and I think they kind of, you know, they speak the same language in a lot of ways. If I had to guess, yeah. I'm not in those rooms, but I'm kind of guessing that's probably what happens. And I think they did develop a real good relationship with each other and they both, you know, uh, that relationship has produced a lot of wins. Toyota, Kyle, and the relationship, I think Kyle really cares about Toyota. And uh, when we first came together, Toyota did not have a Cup win. And Kyle, the first year, I think it was seven. Um, uh, he won seven times that year for him in Cup. And so it's been a very productive relationship. They're, I think in, in both throughout Toyota and with Kyle, I think they've developed a real, a real good relationship and uh they've it's been very productive certainly has been great for us
0: uh, that 2015 season uh take me through what you remember from the day kyle got injured
2: yeah i think that was horrific that was awful um, i was really worried i think everybody was when you saw the wreck and what happened and um I felt so much better when I saw him. He actually came up out of the car, out of the window, and was sitting on the window. So you're looking at that saying, you know, gosh, looks like he may be okay. But I think he knew, you know, both of his legs and his foot uh, was, was injured. Um, and so, you know, you're looking at that, and to be truthful, uh, something like that, an injury like that um, could cause uh, an athlete to really look at it and say, wait a minute, you know, uh, and really question, do I want to get back in a car like that and drive it like that? That guy, Kyle, I went over to see him in the hospital that night, right before surgery and they had him laying there. And so I went in, the doctor was there, Sam was there, um, And here's what he was saying to the doctor, get me in there, get this started. I want to get this thing fixed. I want to get back to racing. He was, that was his approach. Uh, And so I'm kind of looking at that going, oh my gosh, you know, (laughs) because he had a compound fracture of one leg and then he had his foot was really damaged, his left foot was. And so then when he comes out of the hospital, he got his, surgery there and he came back here to Charlotte to have his foot operate on and I go over to his house the next day the day after and I figure you know this guy's going to be drugged up and he's going to be you know probably really hurting and I go in the house and I always remember going in there he was you know full of himself that day and he was going hey I'm coming back He says, I'm getting this done. He goes, watch this. He goes, watch my toes. And so he had the cast, and he had his toes sticking out. So he's wiggling his toes. He goes, look at that. And I said, did the doctor tell you you could do that? And he said, no, the doctor told me not to do that. (laughs) I said, don't do that. What are you doing? But that, that man, from the time he got hurt, he had one thought in his mind was to come back and he wanted to get back in that race car. And I think that was, um, I was really telling I think for him, of course, when he came back.
0: Well, it, and, and question for you, before we get to him coming back, I, I mean, there've been now a couple Redskins quarterbacks that have notably had compound fractures. So, you, you know, when you find out what's happened to him, um, What's your gut tell you in terms of how this is going to impact his career?
2: Well, you, I think, you know, what you, what you look at uh, for anybody that sustains that kind of injury, you know, I was, you know, you're looking at what, what's their mental makeup? What are they thinking about this? And what I was trying to say from the time he got hurt, all he was saying was, I want to get back in the car. He was highly motivated. He went to his all of his rehab and everything. I don't think he could have, you know, come back from an injury like that. Both his foot and his leg. And uh, I think you know he was he was after it. I'll put it that way. And um, of course, that was great for us to see everybody around him.
0: And then he comes back. Uh, What what from that most stands out? Because I mean, talk about a, a storybook finish to yeah. the season. Yeah,
2: uh, it really is a storybook finish because when he came back from that, the rules were such that he needed to win to get in because he had missed so many races, and
0: um, and you <laughs> I had the campaign to campaign to get
2: him in. Yeah. And, uh, I can remember Sonoma and I go, oh my gosh, he's out front, how in the world? And where we were really worried with him, if you think about this, was his foot. It wasn't as much his leg, but his foot, because that foot, you know, you got the brake and everything that you gotta do. The the one racetrack we were really worried about was Sonoma road racing, because boy, there you're constantly on the brake and it takes a lot of pressure Um, on their foot. And for him to race the way he did at Sonoma that day, we were really worried about that. Could he race a road race? And then all of a sudden, him winding up at the end of the race, leading, I'm going, oh my gosh, it was like a storybook finish, and I think everybody in the winner's circle were really emotional. You know, everybody was emotional. That That was a great comeback, a great effort. And then for him to turn around and win, I think, five times down the stretch. Uh, and then, you know, to go on and win a championship, I think was just a, a great story.
0: Uh, Ed told me his perspective is that 2019 actually might even be more memorable for Kyle because it was less of a blur than 2015 was with everything that happened then. Um, to what extent do you think? that's the case for Kyle with 2019 in the championship?
2: Um, I think they're, you know, the years are very different. Um, You know, everything he went through that one year, you can't, you can't even dream up a scenario like that. It was like a, you know, if you were gonna film a movie, I think that would be a good one to film. Um, But I think 19 was very different. And really we kind of, weren't running that good towards the end of the year and he just came back and he and adam somehow got together um at the end of the year made a great run out of it and then got in a championship race and or you know did a great job in there and then kyle finished it off
0: how do you view the struggles from the 2020 season
2: I think uh, a lot of things changed, as we all know. Um, First of all, we get COVID and COVID changed our sport from a standpoint. We used to go and practice at the racetrack. And that's one of Kyle's strengths is the practice and telling the crew chief what he wants in the car. Man, you never know how that affects somebody because we'd never done that. You know, we'd never just gone to the racetrack, get in the car and race. Um, and so when we embarked on that new part of dealing with COVID, um, I think it did have um, an impact on their team. And, but you, you, you know in pro sports, I've always said the hardest thing about pro sports is staying up there, staying at a top level and performing every year and being there every year. If you watch pro sports, it's one of the hardest things to do. And um, I think it was just one of those years where a lot happened to us. COVID um, and having to break in there. Um, It was just a year that got turned upside down in a lot of ways for us. And um, it was was really, really hard. Uh,
0: Obviously, you know, him and his his crew chief won two championships uh, together. Um, What was involved with the assessment on your guys' end with making the decision to make a crew chief change?
2: I think in, in this sport, um, I think um, that's just something that's, that's gonna happen. And um, you, it's rare that you see you know, a crew chief and a driver go for an extended long period of time. Um, it's just something that you go through the ups and downs and everything that can happen in a racing season and um so i think it's just something that this sport it happens in this sport and so sometimes it's just better where you see some uh for instance for instance one of our race teams last year one of the top race teams they just rotated all the crew chiefs right <laughs> they changed everybody and so uh you see that happen quite a bit in this sport uh, so i think it's just something that adam and kyle had such a great relationship and won two championships and all the races they won uh, but i i think everybody when everybody sat down and talked about it everybody felt like it was probably a time to to change
0: yeah sometimes it just runs its course yeah. uh, um last last couple of questions for you uh first on, on the COVID front um what what sticks out most to you about just what JGR, like any other team in NASCAR, uh, went through with just navigating COVID this past year?
2: I think it's something that you don't ever expect, or it's kind of probably, hopefully it's a once in a lifetime thing. And it just, you know, it turned the whole world, not only our race team, but everything that took place, every business, every person almost has been touched. And who would dream that that would happen? Um, and so it dramatically changed our sport. Everything came to a screeching halt. And, but I do think that um, our, you win with people. I think our people did a great job of adjusting to something that nobody had any. You, you, there was no practice for this. There was no preparation for this. It's something that just happened. It was here. And now you got to react to that. And we have a lot of people here. um, And so we had to come up with the proper processes for everybody to come to work here, the ones that could. A lot of people worked from home. Uh, Very few people could go to the racetrack. Uh, The drivers had no practice, go to the racetrack, get in the car and drive. But the great thing is we were able to get through the whole season with NASCAR. Uh, but I, I think there was a lot to that. And uh, I guess it was more um, of something, instead of being about a sport, it was being about uh, what could happen in the world. <laughs> it was a world incident. You know, it's like, you know, some of the things that you never dream would happen in the world a world war. You know, we'd never dream of that. Right. This is something you never dream of, having something like this affect all of us. And I was proud of the way our team went through it.
0: It has to be uniquely satisfying in a way to have been tasked with figuring it out and then coming out well Well, on the other end.
2: Yeah, NASCAR did a great job of everybody there, Um, uh, upper management, the way they managed everything, and the way we were able to get through the year. I don't think it's anything that you would ever want to go through again. Um, But I think, you know, it's amazing sometimes the way people can perform, you know, under uh, some of the toughest situations. This was a tough situation. Our guys did a great job with the protocol here in the building. And I think really through all of COVID so far, God has blessed us. And that we've had very few incidences, you know, uh, I think five or less wow. at, in our entire group. And um, so, you know, for Coy and myself, everybody that works here, we were so proud of the way everybody here handled it. It was a tougher year for us, you know. Um, we didn't have the year that we went on the racetrack, but um, I was proud of the way everybody went through a real tough situation.
0: Um, and then lastly, uh anything I did not ask you about Kyle um that you think i I should for inclusion in this or any story you know personal story involving Kyle um over the years that um you think's worth including?
2: Yeah, I remember one of the things I'll tell you a lot about Kyle because we joke about him and 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 uh, the way he looks at, at finances. So it, we're racing through the one year, uh, I guess it was 15, we won the championship there. And so, man, the way that all wound up, and we, uh, <laughs> we win the championship, and everything that took place at the racetrack, everything is just wild. And so after we finished all the interviews and everything, we're on the, he and I are on the motorhome, we're going to the press conference and so, about halfway to the press conference, I heard him go, "Gosh dang it!" like that. And I went, "What? What? What? Are you, what are you talking about?" He goes,
3: "I should have held out
2: on that contract." <laughs> <laughs> I'm out loud, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, him, man. He was upset that he had already signed his contract. <laughs> Uh, So anyway, I think that tells you a lot about Kyle.
0: (laughs) (laughs) At least he was honest and told you about what he was thinking. he
2: was.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for doing this, Coach. I really appreciate you making the time.
2: Well, thank you for the experience. You you go about this in a real professional way. I appreciate it.
0: If you enjoyed that chat with Joe, check out my longer 2019 podcast with him, or you can visit youtube.com slash Graham Bensinger and watch as we join Joe on a prison ministry visit where he works with inmates serving life sentences. Next up's my friend Ed Laukas, the recently retired Toyota marketing chief. Minutes ago, you heard Joe talk of Ed's close relationship with Kyle. So here's a closer look at that sponsor-driver bond from Ed himself. So I guess the first question that I have for you is taking you a ways back um, about Toyota and getting involved in NASCAR in in the first place. Um, Why make the decision to get into the sport?
3: Well, I mean, I think ultimately the reason why Toyota decided to get into NASCAR was because we had a huge, huge untapped uh, group of sporting fans that loved cars. And as we continue to grow our presence in North America and build more cars and build more plants in the United States, and start to move into the full-size pickup truck and pickup truck segment, we wanted to be able to use that fan base in order to be able to expand that. And uh, we also had a whole bunch of car people, both at our dealerships at our plants and at our our corporate offices that actually said, hey, we want to root for somebody because we're NASCAR fans. And now we gave them an opportunity to be able to root for Toyota drivers too. So it it was really a combination of things, but ultimately it was to be able to, teach the the entire fan base of, of, uh, of, NASCAR as to what Toyota always represented and our investment in the United States.
0: 2019. Uh, how would you best explain how big of a year that was for Toyota on the NASCAR front?
3: 2019. uh-huh Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, 2019 was obviously a championship for, for Kyle and, uh, you know, there were so many things that were happening and so many milestones that we had gotten to. But you know, we we really uh twenty fifteen was probably but with the first championship with Kyle was was a big deal. Twenty seventeen with Martin Truex, obviously a huge deal. But then having Kyle win his second championship, really what that said ultimately for us as a program is that after winning three championships, uh, you know, basically every other year from 15 on, um, is that we really were fully cemented into the NASCAR brand. And again, the reaction amongst all the fans and all the people that love NASCAR was, you're no longer that challenger brand, you're now firmly established in the NASCAR community. And oh, by the way, you're not just that Japanese company, you're just a competitor. How
0: did Kyle first come on your radar?
3: So in uh, 2008, when uh, Joe Gibbs Racing and Toyota came together and the story about that is uh, very, very interesting because Joe Gibbs Racing always felt that they were uh, always going to be number three in the Chevy camp. So there was always going to be Hendrick. And then, you know, there would be others that were going on, but Childress obviously was going to be number two. And then the Gibbs organization always felt they were number three. And Joe really wanted to team up with Toyota because he understood after talking to us what our culture stood for, but he also wanted to be the number one brand for a manufacturer. So how I met Kyle was in 2008, Kyle had signed to start racing for Joe Gibbs Racing too. So you had Kyle Busch and you had Ed Laukas and Toyota both learning about the Joe Gibbs organization simultaneously. And uh, I knew I knew about the Hendrick organization because Rick is a friend of ours, and also one of our dealers, both on the Toyota side and Lexus side, as well as you know Roger Pensky is as well, who represents the Ford brand, and uh, you know I, that was really the 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 time that we also got to get to know each other. All he knew was how Chevrolet interacted with their drivers, and frankly, I didn't know much. I was brand new learning about the space and learning about how the manufacturers interact with the teams and the drivers, so we got to learn together.
0: Uh, for you personally, just that, pro- you know, independent of Kyle, for you personally, that process of not only learning about, uh, you know, motor sport, um, but uh, acquainting with a team, um, what was, what, like, what stands out to you from that experience?
3: I was a fan of various racing series, NASCAR being one of them, but I was never intimate with exactly how the organization works. So when I got the assignment to come over and be responsible for Toyota being represented at NASCAR, the very thing I wanted first thing I wanted to learn about was the landscape because I really didn't understand it. And the very first race that I went to, I'm wearing my Toyota shirt and somebody threw a full beer can at me and started screaming at me about, you know, get your junk out of here. You know, we don't want Toyota and NASCAR. You're going to ruin NASCAR. Really. And uh, so I go, well, this is, uh, this is really starting off you know, really, really well. So uh, that was in 2007. But we just continued to, to demonstrate who we were, what we stood for as a brand, and interact with the fans, both from an engagement perspective, engagement experiential marketing perspective, the way we did our advertising, and the way that we just behaved overall, and uh, really grew a huge affinity for Toyota.
0: To what extent did you and Kyle ever share experiences from getting acquainted with, you know, this you know, new team in Joe Gibbs Racing?
3: The good thing about Kyle was Kyle realized that he was good and his ego carried him to be able to say, you know, I just want to win and I'll win with Toyota or I'll win whatever, whoever manufacturer I'm representing So it's not about necessarily winning. It's about a long-term relationship. And I want to have a long-term relationship with the brand that is going to carry me similar to what Jeff Gordon would have with Chevrolet or Jimmy Johnson would have with Chevrolet, where that's really the only brand as an adult that they ever really drove for. And that's what Kyle wanted. Um, He also had, uh, you know, as he got a little bit older, I always watch how, as he became a, a mature adult, he also had a huge affinity to helping the young drivers coming up through the organization, and that's the reason why he asked me to help him start KBM, which is the truck series right now. And uh, you know, so those are those are the things you just watch people, you watch them grow and develop. So he went from basically being a a, a kid to being an adult and being a responsible father and, you know, all the other things that, you know, that he's gone through in his life.
0: When he came to you about KBM, uh, what did that conversation entail?
3: Well, he said he wanted to start his own race team, you know, and uh, starting your own race team is, you know, not just, you know, opening up a door and all of a sudden, you know, people just show up. Um, he wanted to be able to figure out exactly what it was going to represent, but he also didn't want to have an organization that wasn't going to win. So ultimately, you know, I I, I will say, Graham, you know, that's one of the big points of NASCAR is that, or any racing organization, is that no matter what you do, if you're not winning and you're trying to establish yourself as an organization, then you might as well forget about it because of the fact that ultimately the sponsorship, the fans, the affinity that people have for you as driver, as an organization, it's all well and good that you're a really good group of people and that you're you know, really responsible adults and do the right thing. But if you don't win, nobody pays attention. You know, when Hendrick Motorsports goes through a lapse of a couple of years where they're not winning anything, everybody's very forgiving of Rick and of Hendrick Motorsports because of what he has built over time and the legacy of Hendrick Motorsports. When you're building from the ground up, you got to pretty much figure out a way to be able to be relevant in the sport. You know, we're going to go through that this year. Uh, in, or in 2021, we're going to go through that with twenty-three eleven, with Bubba Wallace and the Jordan Hamlin team for the exact same thing. You know, Michael Jordan's number one message was, I'm not doing this because I don't have anything else better to do. I want to win. Period. End of story. I've always won in my life and we're going to win.
0: Uh, to what extent have there been inflection points at various uh times in working with Kyle that you think are most responsible for like long-term sustained success together?
3: Um, I don't know whether or not I would be able to say sustained success together, but there were learning moments for both of us as he was growing up and I was learning and I became, I think, a little bit of a coach to him. I don't know what he will ultimately, would ultimately say about that, but uh, there were many points during his life, both personally and professionally, where he was having uh, some, um, I would say some reflective moments and having a difficult time with it, whether or not he wasn't having performance on the racetrack or, you know, he was, uh, you know, getting ready to ask Samantha to marry him, you know, those type of things. So we had built a relationship to be able to sit down and have a conversation about You know, what do you think about X and what do you think about this? And that's that probably just built over time to the point where, you know, I felt that uh, no matter what he was doing, whether it was uh, winning or whether or not he was having a a reflective moment relative to something that was happening in his life that, you know, we connected and talked a lot about it.
0: How about one or two of those that uh, most sticks out to you that, um, you'd be willing to kind of share the the details of?
3: I mean, there's a big moment when uh, he was upset because we were we were having engine problems, and he got out. and One of the inter- one of the people uh, that were there, the reporters, asked him the question about, you know, so what do you think of TRD? And he was very upset, and he made some on camera remark that was super negative about TRD. And uh, so I'm the one that had to get on an airplane and go fly to Charlotte and go and sit down and have a very frank conversation with him about what relationships are all about and what partnerships are all about and those type of relationships and partnerships are not about getting in the media and talking about your issues good or bad i mean if you got so my response to him was if you have something constructive that you want to talk about relative to the total relationship with trd then you need to pick up the phone and call me and not air yourself out in the media I think that was a that was a big one that was
0: so in in that moment uh, what did he say and then how did the two of you ultimately get through it and uh, move forward positively
3: so I mean ultimately what I said to him was I thought we were very clear with regard to our relationship and that was you know if you're if you're going to air your anger out in the media well then we can't have a relationship because that's not what the Toyota brand is all about. You know, if you want to have a conversation and want to be able to fix things, it's much more productive to fix things one-on-one with a group of people that are responsible for this versus airing it out in the media. The airing it out in the media doesn't do anything except for push us backwards relative to our relationship with the NASCAR community.
0: Got it. And so, And... and, I mean, I'm sure ultimately that was a productive, positive conversation between the two of you. Um, to to what extent was it in any way uh, a turning point?
3: I don't know whether or not I would say it's a turning point, I just, it was a point of clarity yeah. as to, you know, this is what a long-term relationship works looks like. And, you know, it. I always say that, and, and you know, Jill Gibbs says this all the time, and that is, when you look at someone and look at their character and know what they're all about, in many cases, you can look back and see how they're raised. And if they're not raised in an environment where those things are cherished, then you, people have to grow into them. And someone has to teach people about that. So, you know, Joe says all, says all the time that, you know, Ed, you're one of the people that's responsible for helping Kyle grow from being a kid to being a father and a man and a responsible human being. And you know, and, and, you know similar to what all of us have gone through in our life, we've all had mentors, whether it be your parents or somebody that you work with or somebody in your church or along the way, there's always been somebody that you've looked up to and that you continue to look up to and say, these are moments in your life that you reflect back on. I,
0: I know you mentioned uh, Samantha, whether it, it, it be that conversation or another, um, anything else that uh, stands out. To you, in terms of big conversations over the years with him,
3: I would say that one of the other big moments that we that we talked about was when he asked me um, what my opinion was of Samantha because he was going to marry her. I asked her to marry him, so um, that was a bit, I think that was a big deal for him to pull me aside and have the trust in me to be able to say, "Hey, you know, what's your, what's your opinion of Samantha?"
0: You what did you say?
3: Said so I love Samantha. Samantha's been like. Samantha's been like a daughter to me and uh, you know so uh, the, the there's a story about that Graham that, that is uh, when they first started dating um, my wife and Samantha's mother met at the racetrack and they asked um, Samantha's mother asked my wife whether or not she could have my phone number to give to Samantha and say if Sam ever needs to call Ed while they're dating for whatever, you know, can he, can he do that? Could she, can, can I, can I give her Ed's phone number? And so I found out about that and I sat down with Kyle and Samantha and I said, hey, if you guys ever need anything at the racetrack you know, and I'm there, you guys always know you can go find me if you're having a fight or you're having a party or you're having a nice meal and you ever want me to join, you guys always know where you, you know, you can track me down and I'm happy to be that. And so they, they nicknamed me the track dad. so because i was the i was their dad at the track when i showed up at the racetracks
0: how satisfying is it to be able to develop quality relationships like that while you know also obviously working
3: well you know part of that Graham is is what i've learned in 31 plus years with the toyota culture it is all about relationships and relationships with our business partners relationships with our dealers relationships with our suppliers and so this was just the next level of having a relationship like that with, a, with an athlete like Kyle Busch, um, a, champ, a champion like Kyle Bush. But for me, it went beyond business and it moved into much into being much more personal.
0: All right, a couple of final questions for you in the remaining moments. First, and you touched on this a, a bit earlier in terms of 2015 and 2019, but how about just for you personally, your favorite moments from Kyle's career?
3: Well, I don't, I don't know if you, I don't know favorite moments. Whether or not you would always say favorite moments, but I would say um, going to the hospital in Daytona in 2015 after his wreck was a very defining moment of sitting in the hospital room next to him um, when we had no idea whether or not he was ever going to walk again, much less become a champion that was a huge defining moment relative to our relationship and him you know reaching out and grabbing me by the arm and saying you know hey can you hang around for a while that was a that was that was a big one
0: what do you think the toughest single moment during that period was for him
3: um i think questioning himself during the rehabilitation because you know he is so focused and so determined and uh, and I was, uh, and I think at the very beginning he was concerned about about the rehabilitation, but I think that he's so driven that I think that uh, once the doctor started to see how quickly that he was rehabilitating, I think then he was starting to gain his confidence back that he was going to get there and going to be able to. But you know, race car driving is very very mental, and um, you know you have to have the fortitude to be able to not lift in a situation where, you know, some people do. And those are situations in those dynamics at 200 miles an hour, that if in fact mentally, you're still not convinced that you can succeed, pass, clear through or clear around a wreck, move around the track, then and you, you're apprehensive, as soon as you're apprehensive, then I think your ability to win goes away. And I think that's the thing that I always wondered about whether or not after wrecking like that, whether or not he would be apprehensive. And obviously the, the, uh, that didn't happen.
0: And then to win the championship.
3: So then, but the big one after that, Graham, was, was Sonoma. Oh, so was I, okay. was, uh, in, I was in Los Angeles, and um, we, I did a day trip up from Los Angeles up to Sonoma. Uh, that's one of our races. It's the Toyota Save Mart 350, one of our Toyota-sponsored races. It's a road course. And so the and also it's uh, you know just from a um, o- from an overarching fatigue perspective on a race car driver you know road courses in many cases can be a little have a little bit more fatigue maybe than maybe some of the shorter ovals but Kyle always liked that racetrack so um, and he won that race and uh, so he comes into victory lane after he runs wins the race he gets out the champagne goes and I go walking up on stage and he grabs a hold of me and he goes. I'm back. And I go, yes, sir, you are. Let's go. And then the next point after that was getting to Homestead. And that not only was at our first championship, but what an unbelievable season of going from Xfinity race with this horrible wreck, broken foot, broken leg. have no idea whether or not he's going to recover to standing in Homestead on the championship stage with not only Kyle's championship, but Toyota's first cup championship. Huge, huge yeah. It's the it's the uh, probably in my in my entire career I look at that overall and say as an entire season, it's one that I'll never forget.
0: Thank you very much for doing this.
3: Yeah, no worries. Hopefully I got gave you a little something.
0: Thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed the various perspectives from those closest to Kyle Bush. Reminder to rate and review. It helps us a lot. If you care to see me embarrassingly race remote control cars with Kyle, go to youtube.com forward slash Graham Bensinger. Plus, next week's podcast episode features my two-part conversation with Annika Sornstam, both from her Medal of Freedom ceremony at the White House, which took place the day after the U.S. Capitol riots, and later at Annika's home in Orlando. Thanks again for listening.